Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. If you think we have the ability to do a seventh podcast on Gabriel Jesus, you've got another thing coming. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. It is worth mentioning, this isn't really the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is just the Arsenal Vision podcast. And I think going forward, uh, that will be how we refer to ourselves. I mean, there's no match. We do like 17 podcasts a week. How can it possibly be the post-match podcast? So just something to think about, I guess, uh, as I feel... I don't know, a little philosophical today as Arsenal have brought Jesus to the club. Um, there are a lot of jokes that can be made. Arsenal went with the Cristo Redento reference with the image of him uh, looking over the Emirates with his arms outstretched, much like the the famed statue in Brazil. And I understand there's one in Lisbon as well, for the record. Um, but look, if the last podcast we did about Gabriel Jesus didn't uh, satiate you, Maybe the one we did about Gabriel Jesus before that satiated you. Maybe the two scouting videos satiated you. Maybe the podcast before those satiated you. But whichever podcast it was that you need about Gabriel Jesus, we've done it, and we've done it from every angle imaginable. And so we're not doing it now. That's it. I even did one with Daniel Friba to get the cycling journalist view on Gabriel Jesus. We covered it all, my friends. We covered it all. So here's what we are going to do. Coming up at the tail end of this uh, brilliant episode that you're going to enjoy, and I know that because I haven't recorded it yet, but I just have a really good feeling. Um, I spoke with Phil Costa, who has not been on in way too long. We did cover some rumory stuff, but we focused in on the left eight position, and we got into what I thought was an interesting debate about Emil Smith-Rowe and why we don't talk about him more in that position, whether we should. And Phil, you're going to have to stay for that section because Phil was really down on Smith-Rowe, said some disparaging things, not just about him as a footballer, but as a person that you're not going to want to miss. So stay tuned for that, I kid. Okay, here with me now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter, at PositiveMyPants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter, at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter, at Super Hello, Tim. Hello there. Gang's all here, except for Scott, who, of course, went to work for Arsblog today, putting out the By the Numbers column, which, of course, you should read because it's brilliant. Now, we're just going to do a rumor roundup. That's right. We're going to do all the rumors. No rumors too stupid for a podcast like ours. We can get into the muck. Why not? Let's have a little fun. I think we've earned it. We waited around for Gabriel Jesus to sign. He finally signed. So let's get into the rumors. Let's start with one that I don't think has a lot of legs, but that I think has an interesting debate attached to it. Clive, people want to bring Serge Gnabry back to the Emirates. Now, okay. I don't know that I think he would regard Arsenal as his home, particularly. I don't know that that attachment exists for him uh, in the way that that is being portrayed. But Serge Gnabry, a good player, and I think people have felt, we need another attacker. People are worried the Rafinha deal is not going to come off. 
We have added Jesus, but we could use more up front. And Gnabry's a hell of a player. My issue here is how much tax is the Bundesliga tax, right? How much tax is it on these attacking players? Because we've seen players come over from the Bundesliga and be quite good. That Kevin De Bruyne guy, I think he's going to make it. Um, But we've seen a lot of these players not be able to reproduce their best. In fact, um, you know, I was just having a debate about Jaden Sancho with some friends offline and like, this is a guy who had a 17-goal, 16-assist season who produced 3-3 three and three in the league last season. So maybe setting aside whether you think the, the, the Nabry thing can happen, how do you feel about it conceptually as, as being the solution to our problem? Yeah, I'll just, let's just touch on Jaden Sancho. If you look at Jaden Sancho closely <laughs> last year, I, I didn't rate him physically. I think he had a way to go. He's young, and he can get there. But I felt it's a bit easy for him. You watch those German videos when he's playing at Dortmund, receiving the ball, standing still, doing what he like. Harlem Globetrotter, step over stuff, right? No one in the picture of the screen. Not going to work. So he, but he's got talent. It'll work. He, if he wants to develop, I'm sure he can. Um, on Gnabry, now I'm not. This is not my words, but I read this somewhere, so I feel like I ever dreamt it. That ages of wingers seem to be coming down. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. what part of the reason why he's thinking about moving is he wants to play more centrally. If you look at his body shape and body type, he's a guy that he's heavily muscled, right? That's what I'm going to say for now. And he's super powerful, super quick, banging shots off both feet. There's a trend of, to talk about ball striking at the moment. Well, he ball striking, where does it come from? It comes from your power. Where's your power come from? It comes from where you land your standing foot and how you keep your core together. He's got that banging shots, mate. Mine comes from an orb that I found in the <laughs> desert that I keep in my basement. But go on. Banging shots. And, then, and I hear what you're saying about Bundesliga. <laughs> I just ignore that. I hear what you're saying about Bundesliga <laughs> players. And yeah, I, I hear that. And I sort of I want to agree with you. But then what flashes in my mind is him going to be playing against Spurs and absolutely running through them. It was two, three years ago. I think he did it against Chelsea as well. I'm not sure. Um, but he's played against some of our uh, the British teams in the Champions League, and he's ripped them, mate. Absolutely ripped them. And so I think he would transfer. I just feel... Do you want to name the team? Because it's Tottenham Hotspur, and it was hilarious, and I loved it. Okay. Yeah, I did say it was Spurs, but I think he did it twice. He did it to somebody oh, else. Yeah. 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 And look at that. Look at that. I think it was a 7-2 game or something silly like that, and he really got yep. rid of Pochettino. But he did it again. I can't remember the team. I think it was Chelsea, but I'm not sure. But anyway, talent, power. I just feel he's... He's something we don't quite need at the moment. Not from a playing perspective, but from a wages perspective, where he is, what he's going to demand. He's already turned down over north of 200 at Bayern Munich. What's he coming here for? Three? I thought he just got rid of those. Do you know what I mean? Do you want to do that mm. again? I'm not... I, from a football, slot him in. Football manager, slot him in. Thank you very much. From Arsenal, what we're trying to build, I'm not so sure. But that's not dismissing his talent. And he... I do think we need a wide forward, Elliot. I'm not messing about. We need one. And um, I'm still yeah. hurt by Rafinha potentially going somewhere else. And I'm, I always say don't get attached to players, but I got a little bit attached to that one. I quite like the idea of it. <laughs> I quite like the idea of it. So I hold my hands up <laughs> and I'm still damaged from that one, I'm afraid. 
The people who say don't get attached to players are the people who get attached to players. Yeah, I'm basically yeah. I'm basically coaching myself, Paul. Do you know when I say that? I'm really counselling myself, and because um, co- co- I, I I struggle with it. I'm not the one that's up in the night watching YouTube. Nah, it's not me. It's not me at all. I I know that's a lie because your Twitter your Twitter timeline at around 3 a.m. your uh, England time is all of that Brazil scout YouTube channel. It's like his whole catalog unloads on your timeline. And you know the mistake you're making there, Clive, is like it's because of the way you're constructing the sentence, don't get attached to players. That's actually a big no-no because what your brain hears is get attached to players. You need to think of a way to rephrase it. You know, like uh, obviously with a child, I'm (laughs) reading a lot of child psychology and it's like don't tell your child don't run because yeah, yeah, they yeah. hear run they don't hear don't so walk. you've got to, yeah. exactly so yeah. that's that's what you've got to, yeah. that's what you've got to, i don't think get, you're there are always other players that that's the phrase you want to go yes with. i like that one too i love preaching you know me i like a preach don't get attached to players apart from the odd ones you want to get to attach to <laughs> do you know what I mean? you just you just you hold on to those you know what i mean <laughs> well let's let's stay on Gnabry just for a second firstly i think we can agree whatever he has in talent and stats he he's not got the name Gabrielle. And so I think that that is a problem. And that's one that I find it hard to look past. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what Dali is. Dali, I don't know how you say it. It's a photo generator on the internet. You can type mm-hmm. in any plain text oh, yeah. and it will generate a word. And so I generated um, Gabriel Magaliash, Gabriel Martinelli, and Gabriel Jesus as nesting, Russian nesting dolls. Um, and I'm wondering if we could deploy them that way, that like Gabriel Magaliash brings the ball forward, splits in half, Gabriel Martinelli comes running out of his body with the ball, splits in half. Gabriel Jesus opens his right foot and scores into the top corner. What That's the disgusting. Hell I don't know is why. What's going on with you? Look, it's just it's just weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tim is just a touch loud, but that's okay because his ideas um, they 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 demand the, the power to reverberate in your ear ear holes. Um, well, Tim, let's stay on the the Gnabry thing for a minute. I do think that. Another goal scorer is is certainly something we should be looking to prioritize. I've been very clear that I don't think it's our next priority, so to speak, but I certainly think we need another one. Um, otherwise, we really are dependent upon big, big breakout seasons again from young players. And Serge Gnabry, I, I think talent-wise, has it all. Where, where do you fall on the idea that we shouldn't get back into players on big wages? Like, I'm torn on it because there's a part of me that says if you want a seat at the big table you're inevitably going to have someone at your club on a pretty outrageous wage, right? I mean, whether it's De Bruyne at City or it's laughably Ronaldo at United or, I mean, to be fair, Spurs hijacked Kane and Son onto like 11-year deals back before they knew what their value was. So that's smart, but a little bit of an outlier. Um, You you know, Liverpool have them too. So where, where do you stand on the idea that we shouldn't get him because the wages would be big. Because I sort of think if you want to play in that pool, you're going to have a player or two on a, on a 280, on a 320, you know, something like that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I I guess I think, like, Gabriel Jesus, by the sounds of it, is, is going to be on quite good money. Um, probably may well be our highest paid player at this point. I, I kind of... Um, I'd, I'd rather get to... Um, so I think that the problem, right, with the big wages we've given out, with the exception perhaps of like Willian, and that was largely because he came on a Bosman, the, the problem has always been the second contract, right? 
um, you know, when we, you know, when we put particularly Urzel and Abamyang in particular, it's the second contract that was the problem in both yep. those cases. First time round, not a problem. They 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 delivered largely what we wanted them to deliver, um, more or less, not flawlessly, but you know, more or less. And that's why they got the second contract. I, I think the thing is with Gnabry, the reason I think I'd go more with Clive on this is be- because he's 27. I'd rather give the bigger salary to 25, maybe. Um, because the, the thing is, what you've got to think of is like you're giving them probably a four-year contract, maybe five. Um, and so that that, I mean... I, I guess you could just say, well, screw it. Sign someone like Gnabry at 27. We'll keep him until he's 31, 32. And then maybe we just lose him on a Bosman. Um, but he's done everything that we want him to do at that point And we don't renew him. And, you know, m- maybe it's more problematic buying someone at 24, um, then producing three really good seasons. And then when they're 27, renegotiating the contract and getting their crap seasons, maybe. I, I don't know. I think the thing is with Gnabry as well, there is an injury history there. Um, that we're aware of because some of it happened on our clock. Um, and so I, I, it, it's a weird one. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that if you sit down and tell me in three weeks' time that we've signed him, I'd be excited about that. Um, I'd, I'd be excited with a concern in the back of my head, a, maybe a bit like when we signed Thomas Party and we voiced that concern on this podcast, much to everyone's horror. I was um, literally yeah. about to type that in. <laughs> <laughs> Remember what you lot said about Party? I was literally to the type it in, but you did it. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And and, and to, to some extent, I, I don't think, um, I, I still don't think we were mega wrong to do that, by the way, largely just because of the player's um, fitness more than anything. But, um, and, you know, look, let's not make this to Thomas Party podcast, but he hasn't been universally brilliant all the time. Um, I think he was the last few months. But anyway, like, yeah, if, if you do... <laughs> Here if we you, go. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, no. <laughs> We've already got Jesus, Paul. Do, yeah. You don't need to invoke yeah. him. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I agree. So for, for me, I do think that another goal scorer of some stripe... Um, it is still the priority. We're like we're miles, miles, miles short of where we need to be in in that respect. Um, but G- Gnabry's one that I, I just kind of think that ship sailed. And I do think as well that you shouldn't really go back to someone you've already had. And like to have Gnabry at the opposite ends of his career, I don't know. Something about that wouldn't feel a hundred percent right I- to me. I think that's fair, and and I do think it's worth pointing out to your point about the injury track record. Just if you're going to give someone three hundred grand a week, you need to at least feel fairly confident that they can start thirty five, thirty six Premier League games for you. I mean, they need to be on the pitch all the time. His most starts in any league campaign is twenty six. His most minutes is twenty one ninety three, and that means that you know he's had some good seasons, and he's played well in the Champions League certainly. But he hasn't shown that he can really run the marathon, you know, of of a grueling season in a more physical league, in a league that maybe doesn't give you the space and time that attackers enjoy. And you know, that's not to say he's not a brilliant player, and that oh, you know, could he do it on a cold, wet night in Stoke or anything? It's just I I don't know if I could be okay giving that kind of wage and making that kind of commitment to a player who has never really been the anchor of his team, at least from a playing time standpoint. You know, I mean, 
25, 26 starts. That's his best ever season. So I just think... Uh, like, why aren't Bayern going to that money? Uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the money that he reportedly wants. And they bought Mane, who's 29. So it's, it's, not, the age it's not an age yeah. thing, is it? No. It's no, the bo- it it's a body um, thing, mate. It's a body thing. And they kept Kingsley Coman as well. And look at the body types. I'm telling you, look at look at Glambu with your own eyes and tell me what the future looks like. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so, Paul, I mean, just not from a pure, like, player quality excitement standpoint, if we could get both Rafinha and Nabry and you were the guy who got to choose who it was and the money was the same, all things being equal, you could just pick between those two players and land them in Arsenal's team this season. Do you have one you like better? Uh, all things being equal, footballistically, I'd take Gnabriel because he's got the same name as the other guys. Yeah, Gnabriel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a sign there. Look, he can play. Except that has to be his first name, so he'll he'll have to do that thing where like his first name becomes his last. So it'd have to be Gnabriel Surge. Sure, a surge okay. of Gnabriel. Mm-hmm. So, like, I would he, too. By the way, <laughs> he could clearly play in three positions. Um, he's like he'd be great. Uh, I do share the concerns about. I don't know what his future looks like. I think the the Byron thing in terms of the three hundred k per week. I think that's just because uh, Byron don't need to do that in the Bundesliga for the kinds of level of player they get. I think there's a kind of a a weird kind of market they're in that they're not in our market. So um, it, it might not be that they don't think he's worth three hundred k per week. He's just not worth 300k to them in the Bundesliga uh, if they had to uh, schlep it with the rest of us in the Premier League. They might yeah. well think yeah. that's that's what you got to pay for that guy in this league, but they don't got to pay that. Uh, they have a talent machine that comes through. Um, they had the reasons for Mane. Uh, he brings something very specific to them, um, and they're willing to pay. Uh, but they don't got to do that for Gnabry, uh, especially because he feels like one of their own. Um, so I think there's a lot of, you said don't consider those things, but I don't know how I can look at those two players without considering all, those things because all things being equal and Gnabry stays fit uh, into the future, like he gets you so much across your front line. Um, I think that's right, yeah. But but Rafinha, uh, taking into account his age, his fitness, he'd be on a much lower wage and therefore nicely fit into our pay scale. I mean, you can't bring in Gnabry as maybe 100K more than everybody else and it not be a factor beyond the football. He's got to start basically all the time. He's got to be kind of a top dog and you just brought in a top. Like, there's a lot going on there. And from his side, there's his whole story and he's left this club and he's taken this step up to Barn. Like, it just doesn't fit. Rafinha f- would have fitted, apart from the whole world wants him. What I think is really interesting with Rafinha is I think he's the prototypical positional play, deadly dueling winger that somebody like an Arteta will want, that Pep absolutely wants, so that he's terrifying, say, the right wing while you're doing your ticky-tack on the left wing and you switch over to that side. And now, now he's got the 1v1 on that wing. And, and like that's classic positional play, that quality overload of a 1v1. Um, I think he's a very, very specific type, and that's why we went for him. Um, and not easily replicated, duplicated. 
uh, we should buy that fellow Leeds are looking at to replace him. But outside of that, <laughs> I mean, uh, it seems to be all kinds of logic. And was it, uh, they're looking at Cody Gakpo, are they? I thought they were looking at Tyler Adams too, right? Is that? Yeah, Leeds? but yeah, same position though. Um, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, that that was. I don't. I'm not across the Leeds rumors particularly. So the only yeah. one I knew was Tyler Adams. Yeah, yeah they're looking but, at Gakpo, but, looking at Adams as well. But it's different yeah, positions. Yeah, like yeah. I, I don't Leave know. Leave it to you, Clive. He's he's got he's got us here. Yeah, I don't know enough about Gakpo, but from what I've seen, like he also has that will duel anybody and like just have them on a string for for uh, the first twenty minutes to crush their spirit. And I think Rafinha gives you that. And I think he's a very, very specific type for a positional play team. I can see why we wanted him and why we go for him. I just don't think Gnabry is a fit from his side or ours. Uh, but footballistically, if he could keep that up for uh, five, six, seven years, I'd love him. Look, Eddie Nketiah is averaging a hat trick this preseason. Do mm. we really need to go for goal scorers? Like maybe, maybe we should give Jesus back. We'll probably have too many goals. If he continues to score... Th- if, if Inke- I'll say this. If Nketiah scores three goals every single game this season, we're going to be very hard to beat, and we may be in the title race. So, mm. you know, it, it may it may be a moot point. We may not need any attackers at all. Clive, uh, I'll let you handle one that I haven't seen on the radar, but you have, and I think you'd enjoy talking about it. So that's all I need from a uh, podcast credibility standpoint to let you go wild. Sergei Malinkovic-Savage. Have at yeah. it, Clive. Are we getting this guy? Is he exactly what we need? Is he going to change Arsenal forever? Is he going to is he going to have a statue outside the Emirates? Well, you know me. I don't really enjoy looking at these sort of rumors, but uh, I think not at all. Not even a little. This bit. is somebody that has been on my radar. My mate Tom has been talking about it for about a year. I've been thinking, what's he on about? But I had a little look at him about a couple of months ago because Chelsea were looking at him, and when you see him, he's a midfielder, all round midfielder, very graceful, two footed, can play either side eight and shots, assists, goals. But, mate, honestly, don't don't look at the YouTubes. I've already got messages in our timeline earlier saying don't scout him because <laughs> he's that good. <laughs> then, yeah. that's, what, that's what people are saying. Don't scout him, you idiot. <laughs> you just don't <laughs> scout him, <laughs> basically, <laughs> because they don't Fair want enough. anyone to, to jinx it. He is beautiful to watch, beautiful in the eye. I've never seen a full game of him, but, don't look at the YouTube. You you won't sleep. I mean, seriously, he's so graceful. He just he's, he's perfection. Watch him on the ball. He's two way. He's got a good size. Dominates. Can carry it. Can shoot both feet. Mate, don't look. Don't look. He, he's really really interesting. He's twenty six, twenty seven. They want fifty mil approx. Um, Lazio. There is interest in Lazio having uh, Lucas Torreira. So. Could there be a little bit of shake and bake there? Potentially take a bit off the top, but um, I'm I'm trying not to believe it because people that do this much more than even I do tell me don't listen to Italian rumours, Clive. They're always wrong, right? So similar Aaron Hickey, for example, lots of Italian rumours came out. They got the price up a little bit, and he's now going to Brentford, right? And Arsenal were used as part of that. Chelsea have been linked to to Milinkovic Savic. For longer than we have, potentially, they're trying to up the price, using us as a, a little bit of a, a stalking horse. So, nice player. And I can pray him to Tielemans just briefly. Tielemans is very silky, 
but not as silky as this guy. If you look at a lot of Tielemann stuff, he falls over. This guy doesn't fall over. He's just neat. And, you know, for the older listener, the way he sort of plays, he almost like reminds me of Trevor Brookin, but almost you know, a bit more punchy. Very stand-up, very smooth. So, yeah, um, one to get excited about, but don't get excited because I'm not sure I believe the rumour, but very nice football player, very nice. I like that you said for the older listener, as if there is a younger listener here. I mean, as if there's some 17-year-old listening to us right now. My, my dear, sweet teenage listeners, if you were here, thank you. We love you for keeping us young. Uh, how do you do, fellow kids, as they say? Tim, rumors. Um, Lissandro Martinez. It's a good album. Yeah, it is. I agree. Uh, <laughs> Lissandro Martinez is a good album, but I don't think it's an album that's going to be in our, in our stock. Here, here's the issue I have with the Lissandro Martinez rumor. I just can't get away from the idea that Ten Hag is going to have the edge here. Now, whatever we think of Manchester United, and we think a lot of fun things about Manchester United, all of which are warranted, they are still Manchester United. They pay a ton. They have talent. It's a club. Kids will definitely grow up thinking about wanting to join. And, I mean, he played for Ten Hag. So, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I just I get 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 222, and he's off to United but all the rumors say we're still really after him. The interesting thing about being after him, Clive and I did a scouting video. And and look, I am not a scout. I'm just a person who watched some footage. I don't see a Premier League center back. I don't see a need at center back. Assuming we believe Saliba's coming back and is going to be able to fight for a place, we've got four of them, three of whom I think we really highly rate, not to mention that Tomiyasu is a hell of a center back also. So this to me is backup left back or replacement left back, which I agree is a priority, but I'm not sure it's the kind of priority that I'm going to get bent out of shape if Manchester United take a guy that, to me, doesn't look like he's going to be a center back in the league. So I I, I struggle with this because I think he might be off to United. I think he's a player who's got every single pass you could possibly ask for, but I don't see how he neatly fits into anything we're trying to do at this moment. That may be short-sighted. I'm curious how you feel about him, his destination, and why we are so uh, hell-bent on getting him, apparently. Yeah, I think, um, so I, I already said this on the cast earlier, so I'll try and nice, do like... Nice, No, just repeat it and then we hope we get ours out first. That's how this works. Race it's already tomorrow. out, I'm afraid. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Well, we um, always copy his ideas anyway. Go for it. But, but Argentina produce a lot of players like this, a lot of defenders like this, and like they don't play a position, they play an area. Mascherano, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and well, and, and like there's there's loads of Gabriel Ains, uh, uh, Juan Pablo Sorin, these guys who play, who can play any one of left centre back, left back, and left central mm-hmm. midfield because yep. they just operate in that area of the pitch. And, and I think my best read with Martinez would be that he'd back up all of those. Um, he'd be back up left centre back, back up left back, mm-hmm. um, and potentially back up. Uh, one of the backup left eights as well, and that he probably wouldn't get into a starting eleven. Um, but if any one of those is injured, he comes in. Um, I mean, the other thing we talked about this morning as well. I mean, I I think if he if we get Martinez, I think Rob Holding would go. I think we'd we'd sell him, and that would be one of those rare kind of. You know, uh, one of those like Iwobi. I mean, I don't think we get that kind of money because it's sent half. But one of those like Iwobi, Willock, Martinez, like the few good sales we've done over the last few years, right. where it's like, okay, we're actually selling you at a reasonably high clip. We don't think you're quite Arsenal quality, but you're not a bust. We're not hawking you around trying to get rid of you. There'll be interest there. 
if we put you on the market and we might even get a bidding war going or something. So, um, you know, potentially room could be made, I think. I, I do think it's a pretty fascinating one, though. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have speculated on, hmm, with all this kind of activity, is there going to be a sale somewhere? Um, and and I, I think I'd pitch it more at holding. But, you know, there's, there's been some whisper, and th- this is complete speculation and therefore very much in the spirit of this podcast. But yes. there's, there's been whispers about Gabriel, right, with Juventus and things like that. We signed him two years ago. I'm not hearing anything about offering him a new deal. Um, which, you know, maybe I can't remember if he signed for four years or five years, maybe he signed for five years and therefore it's not necessary, but you know what I mean? Like that, that could be, uh, potentially in the offing. It it, it would drive me nuts if it happened, by the way, I think it would be a huge mistake. It's yeah. It's just one of those things like uh, there, there has, there have been some whispers of interest around that player. And if you're grasping around for, we might sell someone quite big, um, you know, it might be Xhaka, might be him. Maybe it's none of them. Maybe that's not true. But it it does it does kind of it does kind of make me wonder um, in that respect. But I I think what we've seen from Arteta as well is in terms of centre back, you know, rightly or wrongly, however you think of it, like distribution is a massive thing. Like I, I think Ben White's a good defender, but I think we brought him in because because of what he does with the ball. Um, Can I largely. give you an irony? Just a quick irony to cut across you yeah. for a second. The irony, and I'm not saying that the eye test validates, validates this or doesn't, the defender in our lineup that has the best passing stats, if you care about this, is Gabriel, ironically. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's possibly because he plays where Xhaka plays and yeah. therefore yeah. the passes give it to Xhaka. <laughs> yeah, team. I don't know. Just just thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, he's not bad on the ball at all uh, by any means, and he can bring the ball out and things like that. But, yeah, the, the Martinez one does fascinate me. My, my best read on it is that, yeah, predominantly back up left back, and that's probably where he'd get a lot of his games. But he actually hasn't played a lot of his career at left back. It has largely been left centre back. But I, I see it as um, just one of those. I, I think one of the things that Arteta will really look for is that kind of high level rotation player I think that's what Fabio Vieira is going to be I think Fabio Vieira can back potentially could back up Saka Erdegaard or the left eight and it's like by doing those three positions you will always be in touch with the team you will not be like wearing a jacket for four months not kicking a ball until we need you because we're in the shit um so so I, I do think that there's potentially something to that um but I also think if Martinez comes in um, you know, Tavares definitely gone. I think Holding would probably go as well. So there, there would be some money raised potentially as well if he came in and a couple of squad places cleared. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think, like, it just feels weird to me because when you land on a guy like Gabriel, who's learned your system, who's played, has not been universally perfect, but is still young and growing into, in, into the position, who's got physically all the traits. I mean, he is our paciest center back right now the data says he can pass um so you know that's good enough for me at least at this moment um i don't know why you want to sort of throw that away i know throw that away is a a loaded way of saying it but like throw that away and start over when you've got something that is pretty hard to find i mean the the defender market is not easy Paul, I want to continue on this topic with you because I'm going to throw an, another rumor into the mix with this. But do you want to add on to that before I give it to you? I do. Look, I don't see how we'd be 
bidding 50 million or whatever, we're going to get to uh, 40, 45, 50 million for a guy that we see. We might see him as a backup to fullback in the first half of this year, but I don't think that's where this is going. I, think I, I the, agree, by the way. Yeah. I think I think Arteta wants his Cancelo. I yeah. think that's what he wants. Yeah. You know? And it might be a little bit of a different Cancelo. You might see this guy as a guy who can play centre-back and he'll use him as centre-back from time to time. Um, I think Gabriel Magaliesh has overperformed in a way. I don't mean it's not sustainable, but I thought it, I liked him. I thought he was going to be really good. I think his passing has been really good this year. Um, and there's no reason it won't continue to be. I just don't think that's quite as natural a game for him as even if him and Ben White are performing around the same level passing-wise next year, it's just a little more natural with Ben White and with, like... uh, But then you know know who's a great passer, it turns out? William Saliba is a really, really good passer. Like, you can't can't fashion a center-back group out of Gabriel, Ben White, and William Saliba. You got to go buy an undersized pass master at... Yes. 60 million to yes, you do. It seems and crazy. To I me. know, but we haven't got to it yet. So, yeah. like, he can play three different positions. He can play, but they're all in that one zone, that one area, and that's positional play. Like, one by one, I love Kieran Tierney, but he's not a positional play guy. He can do a couple of things for you. No, but I agree with that. He, he he's doesn't, an overlapping fullback. Yeah, he doesn't have that Cancelo thing. And Gabriel Jesus, this is not the Gabriel Jesus podcast. Like, <laughs> we we're going to put a guy. <laughs> yeah, we don't really play positional play. We play the first stage, the most basic. Like, we don't do anything that clever. It's it's a clever 4-2-3-1 with a bit of 4-3. Like, we haven't even begun yet. You have Jesus up there weaving his patterns, making those runs, us arguing whether he's playing nine or false nine or and in-game these rotations. Like, we haven't begun yet. We don't really rotate on the right side of the pitch, let alone the left side of the pitch in in attack. We're just stage one. Like, our ideas, what we need in the back line, are very, very basic at the moment from a positional play standpoint. And part of that is personnel. And you need a player who's like, whoa, what is he? He's really good at a few things. We've got good people in each position. But... Uh, Gabriel Magliesh is not a positional play. Is he a fullback? Is he a midfielder? He's a really, really good center back, and you absolutely want him part of your team, and you, you want him as one of your selections of center backs. But th- this is a whole other thing, and we're not spending maybe fifty million. You know, according to Ornstein, we're off to uh, yeah. meet him in Europe to try and make our case. Even though, as you say, United Ten Hag should be better positioned, we really want this guy. Why do we really want a five foot nine centre back who'll probably play a bit of centre back for us? Because positional play. But yeah, yeah. We haven't I, I, I really begun, I don't think. It's so weird because I feel like I'm the last person to go your da on my football analysis. Like I love to talk about XG and mm-hmm. I talk about how age, age curves and culture doesn't matter. I mean, I, I really try to steer away from your dad. And maybe it's because I'm so nervous about being perceived as, as an old man that I'm trying to have young man's <laughs> views. But I can't see a Ben White, Lissandro Martinez center back pairing in the Premier League work. I can't. I love the way it would pass and carry the ball. I do not love the way it would Could you see Lissandro and Saliba, though, on another day? 
Uh, yeah, I, okay. I could, but like, you know, then, then the, I mean, yeah, yes, I could look, could I see Lissandro as a left center back in a five and, or a three or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. Yes. But again, I don't think we want to go there. Maybe Tierney is the sale is what pops into my head. And Tim, I'm surprised you didn't bring that up or type it into the chat perhaps, but well, Clive, let's stay on this then. Cause there seems like there's meat on this bone and, and maybe I can introduce a wrinkle with a rumor. Early in the window, Zinchenko rumors were flying mm. around. That's gone very quiet. I think I'd rather have Zinchenko, honestly, because I think the money would be more palatable. He's played in the league for the manager, for the system, and looks pretty good. And Lissandro Martinez looks amazing, but he's going to be more money, and I don't know if he's if how he's going to ad- adapt if there is a move. I, look, Everybody on this podcast likes Kieran Tierney, but whether Kieran Tierney is A, a fit for our system, and B, just fit, right? You, you can't have a key player in a key position who only plays 66% of the games. He may need to be replaced. How do you feel about Martinez? Because for me, the Zinchenko rumors were really, really interesting, and I think I'd still go back to him first. Yeah, I, I'm... Remember we were looking at Pepe and we had the Pepe Zaha discussion. I think it was a two, three years age difference. And yeah. and the lesson I learned from that discussion, although I was for Zaha because I felt we needed a right footer rather than a left footer, but hey, it's gone now, is I know what he is. I know what he is. With Jesus, the reason why everyone's so happy is we know what he is. We don't yeah. want to even do a podcast on him anymore because we know what he is. Right? So, um, And I quite like the Tielemans rumour because we know what he is. We know what potentially he could be. I think sometimes, why are we overpaying for the exotic with the ideal they can play three positions? I can remember being on this yeah, podcast. <laughs> I can remember on this podcast, when none of us have seen a full game of him playing one, right? Mm-hmm. I can remember being on this podcast trying to justify us buying Cedric, saying, oh, he can play right back and left back. Well, when we saw him kick the ball in the car park playing left back, we didn't want him left back anymore. Do you know what I mean? We I can't quickly... remember how I felt about Cedric, but I think I had strong feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know, having strong feelings is one yeah. thing. We we paid money up front early, all the rest of it. We all know it was a crap mm-hmm. deal, right? So, mm-hmm. but yep. you try to justify. Then why are we doing this? Okay, you can play right back, left back. Oh, I see the sense in that. Okay, as soon as you see him playing the other position, and he can't keep it on the pitch, then you say, well, actually, this ain't working. So when you, we have these, I was having a chat with Andrew offline the other day about this utopia of these players that play in multiple positions when we we're profiling them before we actually get here. That utopia, how often does it work? You know, how often does it really work? And and I think, yeah, it sounds good. But I tell you what, I do know. Shinchenko has got, I hope I say that name right because people take a minky out of me. Uh, Shinchenko has got a, mm-hmm. has done the business for a team over four years and has got some medals in his back pocket. And we've seen him play internationally in midfield. We've seen him play left-back for City team that plays a Cancelo-type role in that midfield zone, clipping the ball left, right and centre and getting out of the press. If I had 25, 30 mil on one, 45, 50 mil on another, I'd go with one I know. Now, Martinez, you can't help but look at it and look at all the videos, look at all the data viz and all the rest of it and say, oh, he is very interesting. Mate, if he, I, I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure. I think he played 10% of his games as a left-back per se. I absolutely don't think he's a centre-back in England. I think he's that Cancelo player that Paul mentioned. But, yeah, let's see what happens. But I'll, I'll sleep easy. If we get him, fine, because that means the manager's got a plan. If we don't get him, I'm fine with that too. That means he wasn't meant to be, right? So um, if he goes to Manchester United, they can stick him next to Harry Maguire. Well, that's, that's going to be fun. 
right? So um, yeah. let's just sit back yeah. there. And, let's sit and watch that, right? So we can't um, lose. We can't maybe, lose. Maybe their whole their whole transfer policy is. What's the opposite of Maguire? Find me the smallest, most technical footballer you can and make him a center back. I, I do think, I do think, and I will say this, and I, and I enjoy it too. I enjoy the fact the base of our team, the technical level of the base of our team has gone up a, a lot. It's a big part of the improvement by which we saw last season. The speed and running ability of our backline has improved. So we know the drill, right? We can play in better areas, et cetera, et cetera. But let's not get it twisted, right? I want my defenders to be able to defend properly, particularly in, in, in wide spaces. And the moment we saw some instability defensively and some instability from a press resistance perspective, and our bit, we couldn't we couldn't play. Well, we we couldn't play, yeah. you know. And so let, let's let's just make sure we we keep our priorities correct, so we don't get too fanciful about this stuff. Because we forget, because we soon forget when we don't see him on the grass, right? We forget what pressure looks like and how we feel when we're under pressure. So that's just my little thought. Yeah, I, I, no, I I think all of that makes sense. I I think we're all of a similar mind on this. It, it's an interesting link because it leads us to wonder, like, are we getting rid of one of our more established center backs or is our beloved but oft-injured fullback going to go? Or, you know, how, how do we see these these positions playing out? The We've seen the Newcastle rumor for Tierney at 50 mil, wasn't it? Maybe even Man City yeah. had a look at him. Um, and so when Tim typed that in, I went, yeah, that's the one I'm thinking about. Tierney's got the contract. You send Nuno out and get him cooked somewhere else for a year. And then you bring someone in now. So if you try, again, justifying what it looks like, that's the pathway I could see. But lots of if, buts, and maybes in there. Newcastle linked to Musa Diaby as well, by the way. An interesting one there from, uh, is that Leverkusen, I want to yeah. say? Sharp, um, sharp yeah, sharp winger, very sharp. Yeah. Um, Tim, the, the interesting thing is we're talking about Lissandro Martinez, a player who plays positions that we have covered to some extent. And... We're fighting for Rafinha, a player who, again, probably an area of need, but position we have filled at current at present. And the one that's been sort of quiet of late is the one position that I think everyone would agree we probably need to add in, and that's left eight. Central midfield stroke left eight, however you want to think about it. Now, you could say we did that a little bit with Fabio Vieira, but I don't think that the timing of that is yet. The Yuri Thielman stuff just feels like it's still going to happen to me. And a lot of it is like, Tillmans wants Arsenal. Arsenal have spoken to him. They have him sitting by waiting. The fee is doable with Leicester. Now there's this, this thing you always see when a, when a rumor ages, which is United now on the case, raising alarms at Arsenal. And it all feels very reportage, you know what I mean? Just sort of in the vein of how to make this aging rumor interesting again and get some new clicks and get Arsenal fans agitated about, why are we waiting? Why didn't we just go for him now? United are in for, you know, it, it has that feel. This one just feels like one that's been done to me for a while in the sense that player and club are close. We had some other things we had to get done. I mean, maybe just maybe we're trying to see what else is out there at that position. But I don't know, Tim. It all just feels too hand in glove. Position we need, player we can get, age and experience matches. So I, I, I'm i going Occam's razor here and saying it's going to get done, but maybe that's um, naive. What, what are your thoughts on that particular one? I, I completely agree. It has to feel to me a little bit of maybe uh, Erdegaard um, last oh, summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's slightly different in that clearly he went back to Real Madrid to see the lie of the land and they had Ancelotti in and, and he was probably understandably like, okay, I'll see where I am with, with Real Madrid before committing. So that's probably why that happened a little bit later in the summer. But this does 
feel very back burner to me. The, the way I read it is basically, look, we've got Gabriel Jesus, that money's down, paid. Um, I, well, I know that's not how transfers are done, that there's installments and stuff, but <laughs> yes, right. bu- budgetary, that's off the books. Point made. Mm-hmm. I think probably with Tielemans, they're like, okay, there's there's probably no more haggling to be done at this stage. And now they're in a position where they've got a couple of other targets and they've got a budget. And it's a case of, okay, all right, but if we do the extra five million on Martinez, then maybe that has a knock-on effect to Hafinha or whoever our second target is after that. That there's an element of, okay, we've put that down on Jesus. We know we're going to have to put this down on Tielemans. And we've got a couple of balls up in the air at the moment. And maybe our first bid isn't going to be accepted. And we need to see where everything lands before we kind of um, hit the button um, on on something like Tielemans. So, um, yeah, I, I I agree with you that that to me that has that has the feel of pretty much done. And if another club comes in, and by the way, that's been happening a lot this summer. You know, there's there's been a lot, not just with us. There's been a lot of because there's just there's distinct markets now, and the Premier League is a very distinct market. Yeah. And what a lot of these clubs are trying to do, like Ajax have done with Martinez, they make things very, very public. Leeds, Hafinha, that's become very, very public. They're trying to spark bidding wars, and they know that the Premier League is its own economy at the moment and so there's there's a there, there is a fair bit of a maybe 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 i mean chelsea just seem to be fucking thrashing about wildly going for yeah, anyone i wanted to get to them before we say goodbye today <laughs> yeah i i think we should leak that um lots and lots of clubs are interested in cedric and and todd bowley will probably turn up with about 50 million for him now nah, he's got to um, play he's got only wingers it's it's the all <laughs> winger club that no no or, player unless he plays on the wing if he's in for Ronaldo, just be like, look, we've got another Portuguese guy who has a seven on his back and has a very nice haircut yeah. um, and, and quite a good physique, you know, um, looks very nice on Instagram and in swimming shorts. Um, but <laughs> but and, and that will probably be enough for him. Um, I, I feel like we've gone into um, bad territory here. But, but you know, like, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a lot of kind of, and, and, and I think, I think we might have done that with a couple of players. So like Leno Fulham, is that us making that public? Um, and just, it might be, it might, I'm sure Leno's thinking I can probably get a better offer than that, but is it Arsenal going, look, Fulham are there. Someone else make a bid, Maitland-Niles and Forrest. Look, (laughs) someone's making a bid for Maitland-Niles. I I really hope someone else doesn't come in with a competing (laughs) bid. I think there's a lot of that going on at the moment. And and obviously, you know, we got the big target in Gabriel Jesus. I think we've probably got Tielemans or or close to it and we'll be ready to like pull the cord on that. And we're just seeing how the other other bits and pieces land. So I, I, I do think that'll be done. I completely agree with you. Yeah, I mean, it may be done already, and we just wanted to announce Jesus first. Who the, who the heck knows? Like, there, there's really two classes of transfer, it feels like. The ones you've been linked to for a long time that just felt like they were going to get done, like Gabriel Jesus. <clears throat> and then there's the Fabio Vieira signings, where you're like, who did what now? Um, and I feel like there's more of that to come. There's so many big dominoes still to fall this window. Barcelona are going to be responsible for, I think, a bundle of that. Um, PSG maybe as well. Neymar, is he going to move? I mean, I, I could see him coming to Arsenal on deadline day. So, you know, we'll, we'll hold out for that. Make Arsenal Brazilian again, obviously. Um, that is the move. I mean, he's going to want to join his Brazilian brethren. Cristiano Ronaldo may move, and that's where I want to go over to you, Paul, for a minute. 
one of the things about a transfer window is it's a time to strengthen your team, but it's time for other teams to strengthen too. I'm curious as you look at the landscape of the league shifting and changing, how you think about what we've done and what we still need to do in the context of what others have done. Um, Liverpool, I've been fairly decisive. Manchester City, extremely decisive. I mean, they've gotten a lot better, let's be honest. Um, Manchester United, I I just don't I just don't know what to make of them at any given point. Chelsea, it it looks like Todd Bowley just has come in like a bull in a china shop and wants to make himself known. We talked about this a bit. And then there's Tottenham. And they're getting a fair bit of credit for the work they've done. And I have to admit, like, if they if it wasn't Tottenham and we weren't permitted, you know, we were permitted to say complimentary stuff about them, I might be inclined to say they've gone about their business fairly well. Um, I don't think Basuma is a player that would have suited us particularly. And I don't know that Richarlison fits a need for us particularly, but I think for what Conte wants to do, those are pretty good, pretty clever signings. Um, So let's start with them. I mean, as you look at what they've been linked to and what they've done so far, do you think they've, you know, raised the level we need to reach to make sure that we get back to our rightful place beyond them? (laughs) Um, sadly, I think Spurs are doing what they need to do. Um, like Conte is just a really good judge of horse flesh. And if they gave him the money to buy players, I guess I was never in doubt that he'd strengthen, uh, in areas that he wants. We, we mightn't love their squad. We mightn't love all their purchases, but he knows what he wants. I think Rich, Richarlison is... Uh, add something to that front line in terms of options that uh, they'll absolutely use and makes them stronger. Um, you know, he's he's powerful. He's hard running. He's his level of commitment. He's a bully from a football standpoint in a good way. I mean, not my favorite person on the planet, but that's not really what we're measuring here. Um, and maybe not the most elegant of finishers, but brings a level of uh, pressurizing pace and power that they're going to want to use and makes them definitely more intimidating. Um, Harry Kane had more minutes for Spurs last year than any other player, including their goalkeeper, which is gobsmacking. uh, That's outrageous. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Um, And Conte's got him really fit, and it seems like he can play all the minutes but in a World Cup year, it gives them options. They now have four front players. Uh, they can, they're can. they not all about the Harry Kane show now, or he can play a little deeper and start popping balls to other players. I, uh, you know, Basuma in midfield, I mean, they just have a lockdown. They're going to be incredibly difficult to beat and really yeah. dangerous playing a Conte-type game. And then Manchester United have have massively strengthened if they move out Cristiano Ronaldo, if they buy any players. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's terrifying that they would move on Cristiano, like, the, the, like huge. Both them and Chelsea, though, just seem to have forgotten that midfield is a thing. Like, yeah. it's hilarious to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and Chelsea, their defense, too, I, I don't know. I don't understand the time. Well, but you got to admit. Like, it, it might be the ca- the fact that the window that opens for us in the top four is Chelsea, not Spurs. I, 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 like, I hate saying anything good about them, but like, 
we know Conte is fucking good, and we know he loves these players he's getting. Like, you don't even have to know football. You just have to know horse flesh and Conte's horse flesh to know they're getting really strong. You know what he is? He's a guy who's a clear identity of how he wants to play. He's got a squad that fits that identity to a T and some elite attackers who can just be a difference maker. And, like, unfortunately... It feels like the kind of thing we're just going to have to wait for this cycle, the Kane and Son cycle, to end. Now, maybe we get lucky and it ends now with you know Kane turning his ankle and you know your son missing some time. Maybe it ends in a season or two. It's going to end soon, and I don't think they'll ever be able to replace what Kane has been to them, Clive. Like they, the funny thing is, if you said to me that we get back in the top four next season, and Spurs get back in the top four next season, and Chelsea and United drop out at least on the early returns of what's going on, I could I could see a world where that happens. I'm not saying that's what I think will happen, but I could see a world where that happens. How do you how do you look at the way the other teams are going about their business and Chelsea's seemingly um, maniacal obsession with having all the wide players, regardless of whatever else they need in their team? Yeah, Chelsea are really in the market by overbidding for every player and, and so it's causing problems for everybody else and they're being used and they don't really care, right? Free money, new money, got to make an impression, ripping the staff apart. The club is to be defined, and it's going to be defined. I think the Ronaldo interest is very interesting, and I think that could happen. I really do. And um, that maybe tells you where Todd Bowley's going, right? So for Spurs, I hear what Paul's saying, and I tend to agree, and there are many channels out there on YouTube that are predicting Spurs to get closer to City. I mean, crikey. I didn't know Fraser Forster was that good, right? So um, I think... <laughs> they're, not getting, uh, they're not getting up to that level. Yeah, yeah no, uh, yeah, I, that, that's not my feeling either, Clive. I just think they're going to no. make themselves really tough to beat. No, no, no. But I, to- I, I don't I think to- they're going to chase. You know I totally get it. And I think the moody players that he's bought really suit that club. You know, moody players that want to get into you. So, yeah, mm-hmm. obviously they're going to up, bring in Pesuma and probably lose Harry Winks and Everton are the, the charitable fund that they are and they're going to overpay for him. Thank you, Everton. And so, um, so yeah, they're, they're going to be fine. They're going to be solid. But one thing I will say is, as all of us are sitting here, the four of us, we know exactly how they're going to play. Three at the back, two in, sitting, wing-backs pushing, Spaces outside centre-backs. They'll probably add a left-footed centre-back to their pool um, just to support Davis on that side. They're going to have three strikers tucked in in a cradle. We know exactly what they're going to do. And that means they can be analysed. They can be analysed. They can be stopped. If you drop deep against them, they're going to have to create. Ericsson's gone to Manchester United. They should have got him. They need that created player to unlock doors. They have players that play in a way that suits their A game, which is a semi-counter-attack game with a space to run into and they finished above their XG. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a, it's a it's a worry from a professionalism point of view that they start the game, their points per game was really good when Conte came in. But I'm not worried because I think people will take them seriously. Now, the four of us, we know our football club and we are still debating how we're going to play. We are not complete. There is a level of variety. There is a level of change. There's a level of creativity, which is very hard to read. You know, very hard to read. And there's a level of patterns, which is going to be so interesting to see develop. So all these teams looking at us right now, because we're upgrading in forward areas, they're going to have a new problem. 
a really new problem to face. And I think that's going to be our trick. And people are going to have to adjust to our way of playing. And I think with Spurs right now, we know exactly what they're going to do. So though, on paper, I really feel the same sort of semi-worry that we all feel. But when the, when the ball moves, trust me, I think teams will take them seriously. I think they'll find it tough to break teams down. Yeah. I mean, they're just going to be what they were last season, but more. Um, and I think there's a ceiling on what that can get you. Yeah. But I definitely think that ceiling is in the top four, as we saw last season. I mean, I think 72, 73, 74 points is about the best that way of going can get you. But if they just essentially strengthen their chokehold on 73, 74 points, I, th- I think it's a top four position. United and City, it's going to be really interesting because both of those, I mean, I don't trust United to ever get it together. And uh, pardon me, and I mean, Chelsea are the other one that I. I don't know. Like, based on what they're trying to do right now, it's really questionable. I think we should leave it there because there's a really interesting conversation coming up with Phil Costa where we're going to talk how we fill that left eight position and what Emil Smith-Rowe's future is. I think he wears the 10 on his back. The club gave him the number 10. We think of him as a winger now because he played that way last season, but is that his future? Is he an interior? Is he a playmaker? Where's his future lie? We're going to get into that and more. So I will firstly say goodbye to Clive, who's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. And Paul is on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! And Tim is on Twitter at Stuberto. Thank you, Tim. May Jesus be with you all. Uh, he, he will be. He will be. <laughs> and soon, my friends, and may some other signings be with us all pretty soon as well so people don't lose their rag. We've got a lot more coming up this week. Um, some fun Patreon stuff and then uh, another main pod and then more pods and more pods and more pods. But there's more of this pod as Phil Costa is coming up next. Stay with us. Okay, we've got Phil coming up. But one of the things, obviously, about having Phil come up is that he's so talented and... How did we find him? How did we get Phil on the pod? Well, to be fair, I just asked him and he said yes, and then this wonderful relationship developed. But sometimes finding talent isn't as easy as just asking the right person the first time. And if that's the case for you and your business, then you need Indeed. That's right, the one hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. One of the things I love about Indeed is the virtual interviews feature, and it's one that we've been talking about lately, but um, it's really resonated with me because I was in a job change situation and what was I looking for? I was looking for remote work. I was looking for a hybrid work environment. I was looking for the opportunity, you know, to be home where my family is and and make my schedule a little more the way I want it to be. And with virtual interviews, indeed really I, I think enables that shift to virtual work, to hybrid work environments to extend to the hiring process. So indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. You don't have to install anything extra. It works right from your browser. And after using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time, according to Indeed data. So you get it, you use it, and you don't have any extra technological difficulties to worry about. So uh, even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for the applications that meet your must-have requirements. Sign up now for Indeed and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job, plus earn up to $500 in extra sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply to hire. You need Indeed and... A product that I first heard about actually when a doctor friend of mine recommended it to me is AG1 from Athletic Greens, and it's become a part of my daily routine. I take it every day. I cleaned out a whole shelf full of gummies and probiotics and 
all different things I had to take. I put one scoop of this into 12 ounces of water. It tastes great, and I drink it every day. And I do it for a variety of reasons. First of all, it gives me everything that I'd want from a regiment like this. So there's 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I struggle with gut health. It's helped for that. Great for your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I think, um, you know, when I look at how hard it can be to start new habits, the questions for me are basically like, how big are the benefits and how easy is it to get started? And AG1 makes it easy for me to do one thing every day that I feel gives me everything I need. And so there's a few things you should know. I talk about this every time. It's lifestyle friendly because I know some people are keto or paleo or vegan or daily free or gluten-free. It supports all those lifestyles and contains less than one gram of sugar. So something that you can take that's easy that will support sleep quality and recovery, mental clarity and alertness. All right, I love the cost because it's less than the price of an expensive cup of coffee a day versus like the seven different things I was taking. I love their sustainability values, right? They are a company that, as we've talked about, has donated to No Kids Hungry, right? Over 1.2 million meals were donated uh, in 2020. We'll get some updated numbers from that in the future. And over 7,000 five-star reviews. Uh, so it, it's, you know, it's one that the people that take it have all, you know, from what I've seen online, pretty universally say they, they like it. And I think you will as well. Give it a try. I mean, that's really it, right? You give it a try. You see if the habit works for you. I think you're going to notice a difference. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Elliot, is that enough of that? Indeed. Okay, now it's time for Phil Costa, and you can find Phil on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil Costa. Hello, Elliot. It's nice to be back. It's been a while. It's nice. It's nice to hear your voice again. It is good. I'm glad that the disciplinary period is over. That we're allowed to have you back on. Um, you know what you did. We don't need to go over it again. But but you served your time, and, and now you're back. So it's great. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the uh, the rehabilitation opportunity. So um, <laughs> you've reflected, you've done, you've done the work, and now you're ready to like, contribute again. I feel like Olivier Giroud after he tweeted, um, what, what did he tweet after he got caught cheating? He was like, "I've let the oh. club down, the fans down." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he got yeah. caught in his underwear. <laughs> well, and and much like when that happened, we've had to have the Yaya Sanogo on of you know Paul and Tim and Clive <laughs> and Scott, and so you know it's 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 great to have you back. Hey, um, you yeah. know uh, he he played well against Bayern Munich that time for whatever it was forty five minutes at the Emirates. So <laughs> did did he win the penalty that messed it, Mister? Is that is that a different game? I'm forget, forgetting. That's going a while back. Time. I just remember yeah. one one bit of play where he like controlled a goal kick with his chest and then bullied Jerome Boateng off the ball. So that's a, that's a win in my book. Whatever's happened to him now? Um, I mean, look, if Lionel Messi can embarrass Jerome Boateng, anyone can. That's my view on it. Okay, enough witty banter. He says not having any witty banter. Um, let's let's get into what people care about, which is transfer rumors. So the, the thing I want to focus on with you in this conversation is legitimately what Arsenal needs to do, right? Because as people are melting down, but we're not going to get Lissandro Martinez. We are going to get Lissandro Martinez. We're not going to get Rafinha. We are probably not going to get Rafinha, right? And, and back and forth and all these rumors. The more important question is what will actually get done. And I said this on Twitter, but like last summer, I didn't think we could get Odegaard and so mm -hmm. I sort of lost it a little bit when we didn't go for Buendia. I felt that we needed that position to be solved, and I thought we should go for him. The price looked reasonable. He looked like a really talented player. And like I wound up wrong on both fronts because, oh, by the way, we did get Odegaard, the better player, the bigger priority. And Buendia, it turns out, looks great in the championship, looks 
not as good at the Premier League level. Um, so, we, you know, we got it right on both those fronts, and I was pretty wrong about the way I looked at that. And so I think there are a lot of people right now very fixated on the specific rumors and what we miss by not getting those players or getting those players. Let's talk more generalized, though. If you had to think about what the next number one priority that the, the club needs to add, and, and we won't talk specific player yet, what's that next priority that... And, and I'm going to have to lengthen this question just to say, I don't mean we have to do it in this order. I mean, when the window shuts, what is the top of the list of the next thing you think we would need to have gotten done? Ooh. ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, well, I mean, thankfully, I mean, they haven't announced it yet, but it should be announced next week. I think with Gabriel Jesus, they've they've sorted out the total number one prior- priority, which is fantastic. Um, in terms of next you see i'm quite torn because i i fluctuate on this quite often um you know sometimes i i really think that the next signing should be another forward um but then i also think well you know but we've still got granite Xhaka playing as the number eight and you know i i don't really have anything against granite Xhaka. i think he's been very consistent particularly last season when we needed him to step up. I thought he did a a really good job of that. But for me personally, I I would still go with a forward. Um, I I, I would just love another forward to come in, but I understand that it's probably the most difficult position to to recruit, Um, especially because when when the Rafinha talk started to die down and Chelsea came in and Barcelona came in, I just, you know, went through some stats and and looked through Europe for some for some alternatives maybe and there's not a lot. <laughs> there's not a lot out there. Um and you know, it's not my job to to know those alternatives. The club have their lists. They have their second option, third option, fourth option, I'm sure. Um but yeah, it wasn't looking good. Um so unless you're going to be overpaying for for someone like Jared Bowen or Serge Gnabry or someone like that, Rafinha ticked a lot of boxes, but I think as you eloquently broke down in your um, in your podcast, your solo podcast the other day, um, people just get so fixated on names, and we're seeing it now again with Lissandra Martinez. And I really hate that kind of culture, the transfer culture of you know we either get him and he's you know the next Lionel Messi or we miss out on him and Arteta's lost another target and Edu is useless and you know just disband the club um I don't know how you feel about it or but I think in going back to the question I would say a forward I would say a forward Um, yeah and and it's funny right because if you look at the players that people are really losing their minds about right now on social media and I realize people losing their minds on social media is not much of a barometer of anything because you could literally find someone losing their mind on social media because the sun came up in the east this morning. Um, which, by the way, that son of a bitch does that every day. Learn, <laughs> learn a new trick for God. You know what? You know what? I'll put it on Twitter. Um, but like Rafinha, very, very talented, clearly. In the heart of his prime, does not have an elite output season under his belt yet. Is primarily playing and has played in his career a position where we have a superior player who will start ahead of him. And then there's Lissandro Martinez, who looks really, really enticing as a possible midfield option, but hasn't really played there. Maybe a Tierney replacement, but we still have Tierney. Could be a Tierney backup, but he's not really been a fullback regularly and probably doesn't look 
like a center back in the Premier League to me, but even if you think he does, oh, by the way, we look like we have Gabriel, White, Saliba, and Holding. So it's two players who, while I think both of them improve us, and I would be delighted to get both of them from a talent standpoint, neither to me looks like you'd say they're an A1 priority versus what you mentioned, which is left eight. And and that's why, to me, I look at a Tielemans or someone like a Tielemans as a priority because I, I say, when it's time to put 11 players on the pitch to face Crystal Palace on a Friday night, which I'm sure is going to go great, by the way, and nothing bad will happen uh, on that evening. <laughs> and I think about who the players are that are going to be out there. If we sign Rafinha and Lissandro Martinez, I can see an 11 against Crystal Palace where neither of them are on the pitch when the whistle blows. Now, that doesn't mean they can't come on. There's five subs. It's a long season. I get it. But I can see Granit Xhaka sitting there at left eight watching the left side of our attack struggle to get involved. And that's why that position to me looks like a clear opportunity. I'm curious. I mean, the Fabio Vieira thing, are we underestimating this? I mean, could could the club and the manager believe that Fabio Vieira actually is ready to be uh, hashtag the guy for that position? I mean, is, is it possible that maybe, you know, I've thought of it more of like a Sambi Lakanga. He's got talent. He's showed it at his previous club, but he's going to come in and we'll give him a chance to acclimate. But maybe he's seen as ready. I don't know. What do you think about that? Mm, I'm not too sure about that. I think with Sambi, it's worth noting that he was playing as the six for Anderlecht. Um, especially the season before he he joined Arsenal, he was very much the guy doing the Thomas Party role. You know, yeah. maybe not mm-hmm. to to that kind of level. And obviously, the standard is very different in Belgium. There was you know uh, nowhere near the amount of pressure and physicality that he would need to face in English football. But he was very much the guy trusted with picking it up from the back four, spraying it wide, going through the lines. Um, and I think Fabio Vieira, as talented as he is, um, first of all, he he hasn't really played at all there for Porto, barring a few games last season. Um, and I just think he's going to need time. Um, I, I strike him, you know, obviously on the ball, very talented, very deceptive, kind of a typical Arsene Wenger, jinky player, but... I think he's going to be in for a bit of a surprise when he when he comes to the Premier League because, mm. um, you know, we, we, something that won't have been news to to everybody. He maybe needs to put on a, a little bit of muscle. Um, the same could I be just, said of Lissandro Martinez, by the way. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think he's got more of a natural Argentine toughness um, mm. than Fabio yep. Vieira. Um, but yeah, I think it would be a huge gamble to to just bring someone in 22 years old, straight into English football, um, you know, kind of more of a playmaker-y, right-sided uh, combination player and just say, oh, you know, here's you in the left eight um, against Crystal Palace when Cheikh Decore is going to be slamming into you for 90 minutes. So um, I think I'm absolutely open to seeing it during pre-season. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see maybe... Um, if there is a future for him there or or how the club see him. Um, But in terms of the hierarchy, I think if we don't sign anybody in that position, um, you know, as things currently stand, I would probably still have Granit Xhaka as number one and then uh, Sambi ahead of Fabio Vieira. I think think Fabio Vieira is going to be more of the Erdegaard slash Saka rotation option during his first few months at the club. And by the way, that's fine, right? Like if, 
he chews up Europa League minutes and we win those group games and he plays early Carabao Cup minutes, those are minutes that don't have to go to players that are more, quote-unquote, regular first-team starters. And that's got value and that develops his level. But I do have a theory that you can be more risky with young, young and experienced players the further up the pitch you get, right? So, like, I think you can play like a right wing forward who's 17, but you can't play a left center back who's 17. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Because they'll make some mistakes. They'll give the ball away. They might get knocked off the ball a little bit, but they've got flair. They, they've got skill and they, and they can show it. And up the pitch, it's more about the moments you show the skill and back down the pitch in the defensive area. It's more about the moments you make the error, right? So like, Mm-hmm. You want to minimize errors closer to your goal and maximize moments of brilliance away from your goal. And I think young players can still produce that moment of brilliance, but they're going to produce errors. And so uh, I guess the problem with the Fabio Vieira left eight thing is left eight to me is a position we need to sort of bring those moments of brilliance. But the way we use it and the way it plays on the slant a little bit is just a little too close to central midfield for me to feel that we can just lean into um, flair and and skill there needs mm-hmm. to be some strength composure uh, ability to minimize errors and giveaways right from that position so it's sort of a balancing act but if it's if it's not going to be Fabio Vieira I would be very fine with it being Yuri Tielemans um I have said in the past that I had Tielemans as the priority over a Rafinha and over a Lissandro Martinez not because I regard him as the better player of that trio but I regard him as the player who can more directly impact our fortunes in the near future. Um, And I think give room for the players we're planning on growing into being stars in our squad, the room to do that. Is, is he the guy in your mind that, that achieves that end? Or is there someone you'd, you'd look at that maybe isn't as talked about that you'd prefer? I think, I think Tillemans would be a really underrated option. Actually. I think he's been in the premier league so long that people, kind of know who he is and they know what he does. Um, whereas if we were signing a left eight that maybe we hadn't seen so much of, we kind of project what we want to see um, in in them. And I think, you know, Tielemans w- will not be, you know, uh, you know, this all conquering left eight that can, you know, um, slam into challenges, win the ball, but also be creative either side. But I think in terms of his technique and his ability to, to be a technical leader, should we say, mm-hmm. um, I think he would be a really excellent signing for Arsenal. I think he ticks the boxes much like Rafinha, much like Gabriel Jesus of being Premier League proven, but still with, supposedly or expectedly their best years ahead of them, which I like. I like that kind of profile. They're in the right age. They're not super young, which is how we we have recruited in the recent past. You know, they know their roles. They know what they're doing. And I think just out of sheer familiarity, I think people have perhaps overlooked his quality and what he would, he would bring to the side. Um, I think he's an excellent player, two footed, um, very capable distributor. Um, I could see him dovetailing with party. I could see him even playing in the absence of Thomas party. Um, and you know, for the, 
for the price that's been quoted, um, I think it would be a very um, interesting signing for this for this club. But also, you mentioned potential alternatives, and I've still got a a little place in my heart for Alexander Sinchenko. I mean, I don't, I I'd don't prefer know. getting him over Lissandro Martinez. By the way, I, I yeah, I would be inclined to agree. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that wouldn't be. I'm not sure. I, I can't say if it would be the common thinking. Um, but I don't think it would be. Um, but I think in terms of what we need, you mentioned earlier, Saliba can play left centre-back. Gabriel can play left centre-back. Rob Holding can play left centre-back. Ben White at a stretch can play left centre-back. Even Tomiyasu can play left centre-back. And these are like big guys, um, but also competent in possession, which is more what you'd expect from a physical profile in English football uh, as a centre-back. But I think if we're looking for potential competition stroke um somebody somebody to potentially usurp Kieran Tierney um I think Zinchenko is a really nice option for Arsenal as a as a left eight uh where I've seen him play very well um for for Ukraine and even for Manchester City in a in a kind of inverted role but also as a left back um and I think I don't know how serious the club are about him. Uh, there were a couple of links earlier on in the window, but I think those have died down. Um, but I really like him as well as an option. Um, but I think if the club or Arteta would would have one preferred target, I think it sounds like it's Tielemans, even though it seems to be on the back burner for now. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I do think that if this was last summer, I would be screaming into my microphone. I mean... I'll still be screaming into my microphone at some point this summer too, but Emil Smith-Rowe, Emil Smith-Rowe. I, I think my opinion of him as a player has changed, and I actually think that some of his on-time, short-distance, final third passing needs to improve. And as a result, I've kind of grown into seeing him more as a left winger than an 8 or a 10. But I don't think that means he'll never be that. And, and he certainly has played that role, I think, for Huddersfield. He played that role quite a bit, so... Not not a left eight necessarily, but you know, ten between lines mm. playmaker. Do you think that maybe we're missing the obvious player who could step into that role more? Even though again, he wasn't used that way down the stretch last season. It is a position that I think just a season ago, a lot of us would have assumed he'd grow into. So why are we not talking more about Emil Smith Rowe as the solution at that position? Honestly, I I, I never really saw him there. Um, I think that it was certainly an option when we needed to to be a bit creative in midfield last year because of injuries and suspensions and, and everything. But I mean, we, gave, we gave him the 10, Phil, right? And like, I know, don't make too much about mm-hmm. shirt numbers, but mm-hmm. Arteta talked about what a 10 does. We gave him the number 10. Like, I, I still feel like, and I know I've, I've completely prevented you from finishing your thought, but... No, 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 go, but, go, go, yeah. There must have been some, I think, some idea in the player's mind, in the manager's mind, in the club's mind that that's sort of the area of the pitch that he's going to influence. And I don't know why we've kind of just given up on the idea that that's where he's going to wind up. So, so now uh, I apologize. <laughs> no problem. To be honest, I, I don't see him most effective in, in that deeper role. I see him more effective as the kind of you know, pe- people, you know, made their feelings quite clear on Alex Iwobi towards the, the end of his Arsenal career but when he first broke through, I thought he played such a crucial role um, to kind of link everything up and mm. 
be a kind of facilitator, someone who can inject a bit of pace into our play moving forward, whether it's from a, a run in behind or a quick one touch pass or, you know, and I think him playing deep kind of limits that penetration moving forward. Um, I think you have, like you mentioned earlier, I think you need some element of responsibility, whether that's in your defensive play or your possession based play to play as the number eight in this system. And I don't think he can do it. And if he can do it, I think it would take away a lot of what, of the positives that he brings. Honestly, if you had to ask me about an internal solution for number eight, I would say Bakayo Saka. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not in a, in, not in a traditional sense, but I just think back of how Carlo Ancelotti used to use Ankel Di Maria in, in 2013, mm. 2014 for Real Madrid, where he was kind of that guy who could turn and, and, get away from pressure and really be a, a kind of driving force in the middle. But I trust Saka's technique and his overall football IQ a little bit more than Smith Rowe. And it's not a knock on him. I just think his natural game and his instincts are more suited to being further forward. That's just how I, yeah. how I see both of them. I don't know. I, I don't know if you've seen Saka at all in that position or. I, I think um, Saka could dominate in that position. I still would hate to see it. <clears throat> and it, it's because I like there's this idea that just because a player can play a position, that's where he should. But I still think you want to put a player in the position where they can do the be the most devastating. Totally. And I still think the right mm-hmm. wing is where Saka can be most devastating. And like it, it kind of reminds me of when Cesc Fabregas moved to Barcelona. Cesc Fabregas is one of the best midfielders I've ever seen play football in the Premier League. And he moved to a team that had Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets. Mm-hmm. And so he played left wing. And you know what? He was darn good there because he's so good as a player but he yeah. was never good enough there to be what he was in the Premier League. And it's a great example of some players are so good that you can put them in other positions and they can play it competently, <clears throat> but you lose you lose the, the aspects of them that make them potentially one of the greats in the game. And I think Saka can go to the top of the game as a wide forward, and I think he can be good at left eight. And I'd rather see him go to the top of the game and just properly add what's missing at left eight if that's what we need to do. Um, And so uh, I do think uh, maybe I have a little more faith in the idea that Smithrow can play that role because I also think, you know, you don't need the left eight to play the same way the right eight does, right? It doesn't need to be played the way Mm -hmm. Odegaard does it. It can be more of a driving position. It can be more of a slashing position. I think he'd have to improve his engine off the ball. Right, his tracking back, his ability to get back and and be more of a two way player. Um, you know, I think we see that when Martinelli plays on the left wing, you get a lot more running up and down that that flank than mm-hmm. you get necessarily from Smith Rowe. But that's a different kind of running. That's big space running, right? Whereas sometimes I think in the eight in the midfield, it's just those little five yards of burst that you need to do. And we know he has it going forward. He just needs to show it coming back a little bit. I do think that the tempo and and timing of his passing can improve. Mm-hmm. I, I still do think it can be done, though, because when I watched a lot of rewatches this season of Shaka playing the left eight, that instinct after he gives the ball to the wide forward or the fullback to drop back a yard into the available space to be an option instead of driving forward beyond, you know, we're making that darting run into space to push a defender back to provoke an opportunity to pass it into the penalty area. <clears throat> Smith Rowe will do that. 
right? He will play those one twos. He will go forward. He will carry the ball beyond someone. Um, but that's that's what you said before about put, putting players in positions that they're not necessarily comfortable in. I think his Shaka's inclination will always to be behind the ball. Yeah, it wasn't um, a criticism of Shaka, by the way. It was just yeah, completely, how, how, completely. A, how a six plays the eight. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. to be honest, I I have a lot of I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say faith, but I I really kind of believe in Sambi. Um, I think he is a really natural two-way player for that eight spot who can defend and, uh, and attack. But I just felt him kind of overwhelmed last year, um, last season. And I think we used him a lot more in the, particularly in the first half of the season than we would have hoped. And I think the Europa League will give him a lot of opportunities this year to really um, strut his stuff because I, I've seen him in, in Belgium and I think there's a lot of potential there for him to slot in really nicely into that position. So um, I think a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people wrote him off kind of soon um, because I think he's a really natural fit for that position. Interesting. I, I guess I have a hard time seeing him wanting to make that run second man run into the box or the overlapping run becoming a two shot per game guy like Odegaard needs to add shots to his game he does not shoot mm-hmm. enough but right now you know let's say we're starting a lineup of like Martinelli Jesus and Saka up front I think there's a lot of shots a lot of good running a lot of on the ball capability in that trio but you still need someone else who's going to get into the box someone else who will give you a couple shots a game I don't know if Odegaard's ever going to be that. He can pull the strings for those guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe the left eight should be the guy who will carry it a little more, who will slash a little more, who who wants to arrive late. And like, I actually see a lot of similarities between Ramsey and Emil Smithrow in, mm-hmm. in the final third. Not necessarily, you know, I don't see Emil Smithrow having the same engine to to be a midfielder in the purest sense. But a lot of his arrivals into the box, his timing of how he arrives, <clears throat> the way he. He wants to get his shots off in the final third. I see some similarity there. And I think that can really complement the way Odegaard plays the role on the other flank. Um, I don't think you want two of the same players. And the funny thing is, I think Yuri Tielemans, when I watch some of what he does, like I, I actually see a little bit of what Smithrow does in a weird way. I know people are going to say that's really strange, but like in the scouting video, some of the ways he attacks space when he's in the final third reminds me of him. I just, I don't know. I mean, do, do you think that that left eight position should be an Odegaard type player or should it be a different profile? Cause unless Odegaard's going to up his shot totals a lot, I, I do think we need to add another player in the final third who wants to get his shots off. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned Tielemans there and he, does. he was average. He was averaging. Yeah. 1.8 shots per 90 uh, last season. And that puts him um, as our, as our joint second um, shot taker. You know, who you know, would be from- our, our number one shot taker right now based on last year's stats? Isn't it Fabio Vieira? Yeah, over three yeah. per ninety. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and that shows you something, you know. Yep. Um, but in terms of what I what I would like to see in in the left eight, I think it needs to be a two way player, someone that can do both. Because you kind of had Thomas Party, who's very kind of reserved in in his role now. His job is very specific in in his role and what he brings to the team. And I think he's very good at it. Um, So he's the kind of sitter, the distributor. And Erdegaard's more of the attacking player who's a 10 slash 8, who's very much focused on being more creative. And I think the number 8 needs to be a kind of middle 
um, between those two styles. So someone that can support in attack, but also defend um, when we need them to. And I don't, I, I don't mean it needs to be like a, you know, um, a, a Basuma, for example. It doesn't need to be someone who's just scuttling around, challenging and, and mm. intercepting all the time, but someone who's very disciplined in their shape, knows their position, knows where to stand, um, you know, can get to people, which I, I thought uh, you covered quite well in the Tieleman scout report, for example, um, about his ability to get to people early. Um, and I and I, I will just echo what I said earlier. I think he's a really natural fit for the position because of his blend of attributes. Um, and to be honest, I think with him specifically, everything's kind of fallen into place um, for him to come and step into the side and, and be a, a kind of a natural fit for the position, but also his age, his contract situation, the stage in his career when he's maybe ready for the next step. And, and I think the club are still very much hot on his tail. I just think um, with, with the Rafinha deal needing some urgency with the Lissandro Martinez deal needing some urgency, I think they've had conversations with Tielemans and said, look, you know our intention, we're very much here and interested in you, but we're just going to maybe leave you aside because we haven't got competition for you at the moment. As things stand, you know, that might change. But whereas the other uh, the other players, there was a lot of more urgency to try and get the deals done. Um, but it really wouldn't surprise me if, if uh, at Crystal Palace on the, on the 5th of August, he's, he's going to be lining up in that left eight spot. For the money he's going to cost, I feel like he's a very high floor, reasonable ceiling player. What I mean is that like, I think Rafinha's ceiling in terms of what he can be as a player is higher than what Tielemans can. But mm -hmm. I think Tielemans is not going to be bad. He's just not. He's not going to be bad. And he's going to step in and do a very nice job in that role. And there's still the chance he could be very good. Probably not as very good as like a Rafinha or a Lissandro Martinez who have a talent level that may exceed Tielemans. But I think you can build a really, really good team with players in their prime who are consistently just very good. You you Absolutely. need a couple, right? You need a couple of guys that can go to the absolute top of the game. But, you know, would anyone say Jordan Henderson is like a superstar? I don't think so, right? There are players like that in City's team. There are players like that in Chelsea's team. There are players like that in Liverpool's team. I mean, you see them in Real Madrid. You see them in all kinds of good teams. Mm -hmm. And And what you really want for some of those players is consistency of level. That when they step on the pitch, you feel really confident in the level you're going to get. One of the reasons I think Shaka has started so much over so many seasons is we see the flaws in his game and we see the ways he's not good enough. But what I think coaches like is that they can feel pretty confident in the level he'll give them and his ability to execute on their instructions. And I think Tielemans has some of that, but with more upside. And like the interesting thing about the Tielemans deal, right, is that it feels very easy to get done, to your point. Um, and so, but here, here's what I like, Phil. I don't think we can replace what Thomas Party does for us. And when Thomas Party isn't there, I don't think it's even worth trying to play a 4-3-3 in the same way we do with him because he mm -hmm. he can do things that we don't have an alternative for. And I think what Tielemans gives us in a way is the ability to play that 4-3-3 with Party, play the left eight, and add some dynamism and attacking intent. If Party's not there, we can switch to a 4-2-3-1, right? Switch to a double pivot, whether that's with an El Nenny or with a Samuel Congo, whoever it is, but retain some of the, the attacking capability that we lose if that player is Shaka. You know what I mean? So if we're forced to go into a double pivot, I don't think Tielemans is as good 
deeper. I, I think you see some of his weaknesses, but you can play him there and still keep some of your attacking capability. So there's a flexibility angle there that I like as well. You know what I'm saying? If if there's a situation where we can't just rely on Thomas Party to be our all-singing, all-dancing, deep central midfielder. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think that kind of versatility has been a, a very clear recruitment angle for for Mikel Arteta. Yeah. Um, we've seen it with Gabriel Jesus, who can play centrally, but comfortable either side, right or left. We've seen Fabio Vieira come in, who can play as the, as the 10 or out wide, and even maybe potentially in the future as the number eight. We've seen you know, strong links to Lissandro Martinez, who can play left centre-back, left back, and even in defensive midfield. We've got Tom Miyasu, who can play across the back line. We've got, you know, a lot of these players um, who can kind of do a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's on top of the consistency, which is arguably the most valuable trait in football, being consistent. Um, versatility is also um, a, a really important skill to have and a, a very nice one because it gives you options, um, which we haven't always had in the past because we've had to stick to this rigid starting 11 where we're knackering everyone by game week 32 because everyone else is crap so um (laughs) you know or gassing after 45 minutes so delicately put as ever yes um so i I think that's been a clear recruitment angle a scouting uh part of the scouting checklist and i and i'm totally with you i think having um, the ability to switch things up play a variety of systems will only benefit arsenal in the long run it's interesting too phil the transfer window is sort of an auction. And the reason I say that is everybody's bidding on all the same assets at some level. And early on in the auction, if you act quickly, maybe you kind of get the asset you want before people are really ready to go, ready to spend their money. But there's also an argument that if you let people spend their money and burn themselves out resource-wise a little bit, by the end of the auction, you might find a gem an asset you really value and you've cleared out a lot of the early money. And now that, that you have an ability to take a clean run at that Cristiano Ronaldo might still move this window. Neymar might move this window. There's a lot of big shoes that might still drop this window. Liverpool have re-signed Mohamed Salah, which I think has ramifications for what they won't do in the window. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is shaping up as one also where, I hate the expression keeping some powder dry, but keeping some powder dry, like <laughs> maybe you get a Tielemans for a very reasonable fee and then you just take a beat and you wait and see how July plays out. And when some of these dominoes fall, maybe suddenly a player that now doesn't really have a role at a big club is, a, you know, it feels kind of Mesodoso window to me a little bit, you know, where these dominoes that remain to fall could shake loose something that you didn't know was going to be doable at this stage of the window. Because it very much feels to me like we, we've we zeroed in very tightly on a couple of players, but with the big pieces that are still going to move, there's clearly going to be some others that shake loose at those clubs that we haven't talked about. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's always the case, isn't it? I mean, that's why... I would have loved to have Rafinha at Arsenal. I'm more yeah. than okay, and I would be happy to have Lissandro Martinez at Arsenal. But that's why, for me, the, the fixation on these guys and the uproar at potentially losing them doesn't make sense because the club will have other players on their shortlist, you know? Um, and for me, the important thing is, is, is not being so fixated on one player where then everything else, um, 
you rests on that. You know, if, if the only right winger target was, was Rafinha and we couldn't get him and they were scrambling around for some, you know, some other options late in the window, which is why we end up with people like Lucas Perez. Um, that for me is a much, you know, a much more worrying thing. Um, but I think the reason why, you know, we're, we're scrambling for these guys is because there's a sense of urgency to the deal. I mean, whether people like it or not, we're back now at the big table with the big boys and the pool for these clubs is very small. So it's inevitable that there will be competition, whether it's from Chelsea, Spurs, Liverpool, Manchester United, um, you know, even teams in Europe, that's, that's where we want to be and shock. That's where Chelsea want to be. And that's where Tottenham want to be. And that's where Man United want to be as well. So it's normal um, to face competition for these players. And I think yep. that's why there's been a big push for them early on to say, look, we like these guys and, and let's try and get them in as quickly as possible. If we don't, it's obviously disappointing, but I think, you know, it's what Clive always says. There's always another player. There are always other players. And I think, I, I, I do understand the element of, of keeping your powder dry, of course, but I, I'm also aware that starting the season quickly and hopefully with new signings integrated as early and as smoothly as possible will also be a huge factor because this World Cup, it's going to throw a spanner in the works, whether we like it or not. So we it's imperative for me that we start off well with everyone involved, everybody kind of on the same pages where we have time to implement ideas, time to implement pressing systems, time to implement, you know, all of the stuff that needs to happen behind the scenes, because as, as well as we can look back and reflect on, on last summer's window and say, okay, there was a clear um, theme to the window. There was a, you know, we spent a lot of money and, and we liked the players that we brought in. You know, we didn't sign Ramsdale until very late in the window. We didn't sign Tomiyasu until very late in the window. And I think, you could see that on top of some un- unfortunate COVID cases that we just flat out weren't prepared. Um, yeah. And I and I really don't want that to happen again. So I'm sure, you know, regardless of whatever happens with Lissandra Martinez or, or um, Rafinha, the club will be working. They will have other targets and I'm sure um, they're hoping to avoid that mistake again this time around. And there are five league fixtures before the window shuts this mm-hmm. season. Five, and they're all winnable. There's no City away. I mean, not that any game is not winnable, but we don't play Liverpool. We don't play City. We don't play United. We don't play Chelsea. We don't play Spurs. We can't afford to drop points from those five games because we're still trying to figure out what we're doing in the window. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it, it is... Last season, I get it. There was the COVID stuff. We didn't get our our business done in time. It was three games, but to be fair, one was Chelsea, one was City. We could have lost those games regardless. These are five games, Palace, Leicester, Bournemouth, Fulham, Villa, that we can take a lot of points. We will need to take a lot of points if we want to have the season we want to have. And we cannot go into a run of five games saying, well, judge us at the end of August. Because judges, we, we can have the best team in the world at the end of August, but if we've dropped dumb points in five games, you don't come back from that. You don't come back from that. So I, I have to agree with you. So then for me, I, I get that I'm out here saying it's still early and I'm not going to panic, and it is. I do think when we hit late July, beginning of August, then you start to say, hopefully there aren't big moves left that we have to make that materially impact the way we're going to line up in those five games. Um, you know, and if you're getting someone like a Tielemans late, 
He's played in the Premier League. You're familiar with him. He's familiar with the league. The integration's probably easy. If you're getting some guy who played in you know, the Dutch League last season, you'd like to give him a, a bigger preseason under his belt to get ready. We'll see. I am prepared to take a deep breath right now, but I am prepared to, um, to at least keep a little outrage and indignation inside, bottled up, ready to go for when I need to release it. And I, I think that is the best possible plan. We'll leave it there. But we will definitely have Phil on again in the future, and you're going to be hearing a lot from him this season. So uh, be sure to follow Phil, read all his great writing, listen to him when he goes on other podcasts, even though that, in my view, shouldn't be allowed. And follow him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Phil, always a pleasure, and thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Hopefully, um, I'll be back when we've signed Serge Gnabry and uh, you know uh, the next great number eight, and we can think about winning the league in, in, in next year. People are going to feel really bad about having freaked out when we signed Gnabry, Dembele, um, uh, Awar and Tielemans. Rafinha, Lissandra yeah. Martinez, Zinchenko, get some extra It's going to be hard to pick your team in FIFA this season. Let's just put it that way. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> nice one. Thank you. Okay, that'll do it. Uh, more tomorrow. Thank you so much for being here. Love you so much for being here. And we, uh, we definitely will continue to cover all the late-breaking, nothing that's going on, I am enjoying the fact that Gabriel Jesus uh, still has not been announced, but hopefully, hopefully by the time you listen to this, he has been, uh, given that we have done five different episodes welcoming him to the club. So we love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, transfer window new. 